Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah. Amen. Rosh Hashanah Tov, Shalom, everybody. Uh, back again on the Parsha, Pekude. I'm very excited. You can probably hear it in my voice. Best right Shem, first of all, made this podcast be to the Rafua Shalema of Esther Markovitz, the daughter of Sarah. And um, just shouts out to Esther and Dr. Sakal, uh, a.k.a. Yishai. I just want to shout y'all out and say that Todah to both of you for being a blessing to our community. And may Hashem do mighty and wondrous, amazing things in your household. And may it overflow into the shul. Amen. And also, our fearless rabbi, Captain Yisrael, has begun the process of recovery. So, man, I'm so excited about that. So, uh, just want to come in and uh, do a little bit more of some left behind on the Parsha because I did not quite get to share, you would think, uh, everything because it's it was like, what, over an hour worth of stuff. So, um, I want to make sure that I just get, get through uh, some things that I wanted to share that I didn't get to. So... Without further ado, here we go. So I want to start with what I have currently open in front of me, which is Rabbi Trugman. Because guess what? Uh, More connections to later Torah portions are in this Torah portion. Namely, I mentioned one of them was uh, Parsha Shemini, which is coming up in a few weeks, actually, with our beginning of Sefer Vayikra. So... uh, First of all, let me go back to the Rosh Hodesh Tov because uh, I just felt like I just ran right by y'all on that. Um, it is now Adar 2, like the second Adar, Adar Bait, I guess is a better way to say it. Which again, it's important to know that this is the actual Adar that is on the calendar every year. You know how everything is completely different in Judaism from the world. What is actually the original Adar actually comes after the extra Adar on the Hebrew calendar. So one is two and two is actually one. And it's a really cool study if you get into the study of the Hebrew months that the uh, leap year in Judaism is actually called the, um, the impregnated year. So the actual 13th month is actually the 12th month, and then the normal 12th month is actually the 13th month. So that's really, really crazy when you think about what's actually going on, but it's considered to be the Adar that we just completed with the help of Hashem, Todar Hashem for that, and now we're swinging into a new one. That one's considered the month that's extra, and it's like we we have been in a process of development to now be in a stage of bringing forth that manifestation of that which we were basically uh, developing. So may it be so that this is like the most epic upswing in the history of our lives. I mean, 
we got Shabbat Parah, we got Shabbat um, Zakor, we got Shabbat HaKodesh coming up, like all these amazing Shabbats, and then we got Shabbat Hagadol, and then we got Pesach, and then we got the Counting of the Yomer, and then we got Shavuot. And man, like this is really a most incredible time on our calendar. So may all of that Kedusha really just wipe out our Yetzahara and really cause our Yetzahara not to just be exterminated, but actually to be like renewed, transformed, subjugated to the Yetzer Hatov. Because that's really what it's for. I talked about on the previous podcast on the Pekude Drop Zone just released a couple of days ago that... You don't want to get rid of the Yetzirah because ain't nobody going to do any work and there will be no more babies. So, you know, we're supposed to be having lots of babies so that Mashiach can come. So anyway, all of that to say, you know, let's subjugate our Yetzirah and let's really transform, you know, like we're in the Torah. That is the agent of renewal. Uh, Rebbe Nachman uh, my knock-knock drops that I uh, was able to share. Thank you to all of you and the Sarshalom Mishpachah for and just allowing me to do that. Most of all, thank you to Rabbi and Rebbe Zine, uh for taking time in the service because, you know, I felt like I was just kind of very, very greedy. Gimel, Reish, Yud, Yud, Dalit, Yud, greedy, <laughs> you know, just uh, to say the least because, I mean, I felt like after every song, after every prayer, I was sharing some insight. So, but it was Shabbat Shekelim. I was so excited and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, again, Torah Rabbah to all of you. And again, may may this new Adar, this increased joy, just even overflow. May it just be absolutely just ridiculous. May everything we look at from now on to the return of Mashiach, just be absolutely ridiculous. May our prayer life be ridiculous. May our Torah study life be ridiculous. May our everyday Shomer Mitzvot life be ridiculous. And may Shabbat just be something that just, we we don't even know. Just, we don't even know what just happened. Like, just what in the world? You know, may it be so. Because Hashem, we love you so much. We ask that you will cause us to be the generation that merits to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua. We stand arm in arm and we stand on the shoulders of the giants from our previous generations. We subjugate ourselves to their halakhic thoughts, the kosher correctness of elucidating the Torah and father all of the trans the traditions that were handed down generation to generation all the way from Moshe to today. Father, we we walk with that and we embrace that and we walk with the foundation and Torah really crying out, bring us out of this exile, please. And not, not that we may end this exile without every single convert because we pray that no one is left behind. We pray that no one perishes. So Father, may it be that we're brought out of this exile and into the final Geula, with the coming of Mashiach and the rebuilding of the third temple in our days, with all of our proselytes, with all the divine sparks gathered, with all of our soul corrections intact. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, in the name of Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Okay, so back to Parsha Shemini and Parsha Pekude. Because there is this. This is Rabbi Trugman, okay? Here we go. 
And God spoke to Moshe saying, on the day of the first new moon, on the day of Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh, the new moon. Okay, swerve. That is uh, coming from Shemot chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. I didn't finish it all yet because I just want to bring up that we're saying Chodesh, which is Chadash, same letters, same root. And you know, that is the word that's used for new. It's important to know that the Brit Chadashah, the renewed covenant, is not something new. Like, I didn't have a car today, and now I have this new car that I've never had before. It's not that kind of new. That is a different car, you know? Like, so if we never had this covenant before, then it would be not called Brit Hadashah, New Covenant, which is incorrectly translated as New Testament. Which New Testament, a better way to say that actually would be Ha-edut chadash, or edut ha-chadash, like the renewed testimony, okay? But that's not what it's called. It's called a brit hadashah, and that actually is taken from Yermiyahu chapter 31. And while we're on Yermiyahu and this brit hadashah, this new covenant, the new covenant is supposed to be something that's internalized as opposed to externalized. Because when we got to Mount Sinai, we put on the Torah. But when we return to Mount Sinai, which will be rejoined with Mount Zion, that's why it's called Mount Zion. We've come not to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. Okay, there's a Midrash, and I don't know where it's from. So Legends of the Jews is going to have to submit to me at some point. Because it was talking about why was the Torah given on Mount Sinai. And it was like, well, that's because Mount Sinai actually used to be a part of Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is also called Mount Zion or Yerushalayim or the Temple Mount. And they separated after the Akedah of Yitzhak. So the Torah had to be given on a mountain where Yitzhak was actually offered as a sacrifice. And it's just like, so you just footnoted that. And I didn't see where that was from. So... I'll have to get with my librarians, which is Hasis Baz and uh, Naviyah Hashani, the Scarlet Prophetess, and uh, ha ask them if they can give up the sources on that. Because, you know, you can't just drop something like that and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just, you know, that's we knew that in Jew Jewish history. So that thing about standing on the shoulders of our previous generations and locking arms with them and holding on to the trend traditions i don't know why i keep wanting to say transitions but traditions that have been handed down that is one of them and isn't that amazing because that turns hebrews chapter 12 into a whole new thing now because when we're talking about the fact that we haven't come to mount sinai we've come to a greater mountain it's like yeah we've come to that place and point where we not only put on the giving of the Torah, the sapphire tablets, but the sapphire tablets are within us now. And Rabbi Griffin on the Aliyah day for the fifth Aliyah was bringing down some amazing things on Parsha Pekude about the engraving on the tablets. I believe he was quoting the Midrash Rabbah. And it was saying that the engraving on the tablets was likened to the engraving of the soul into this physical body 
so that our body and our soul were engraved and completely made one, the way that Yisrael and the Torah are one, the way that Hashem and the Torah are one. And if you think about really the epicness of that, this is why we were immortal before the sin of the golden calf. We were immortal before the eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We weren't going to die because our soul is eternal. And that became melded in one with our flesh. So the whole idea that Shaul brings down in the Egedit to the Corinthians, talking about that we will put on the incorruptible, that this body is going to go into the ground and what's going to rise up from the ground is going to be the same as like when you put a seed into the ground, what grows out from that seed is not the same as the seed that you put in, but it's a new creation. You know, it's something different. It's something new. You know, it's it sprouts, it's vegetation. That's the same thing with our body. So that new body that's going to come post-resurrection for those who have fallen asleep in the faith, that's what it's going to be like. And for us, for those of us who are best right of Shem still alive, we're just going to have that immediate change right there. And it's going to be like, whoa, what just happened? And it's just like, oh, well, I'm Haba, welcome. Okay, here we are, you know, kind of thing. So that's the level that we're awaiting. So the the ceiling of the Brit Hadashah hasn't completely like taken effect, but it has been initiated. That's why we're called to strain and press towards the high mark, because that's where we're headed towards. But we're not there yet. And so we need to practice this. We need to have our hands trained for warfare, because the whole thing about putting on the Torah is also putting on jewelry. OK, so the whole thing, uh, Parsha uh, Pekude talking about these are the testimony. It also, the word edut is related to the word for jewelry. This comes out in the Keher Tumash. I'll source it out in a minute because I'm already lost on my train of thought. I'm supposed to be talking about Parsha Shemini, but, you know, here we go. But anyway, so that whole jewelry, that's also called the armor of God, because this is the primordial light that was given to us in the garden, which go back to Parashat Zaveh and from the Zohar. In that section, it was talking about um, Parsha Bereshit, that the light that Adam and Hava were clothed in was actually spiritual armor. And that's the semblance of the armor that Memtet is ministering in in his mishkan in the heavenlies which is the heavenly temple the heavenly temple is actually a mishkan but you know there's all that so what the kohen gadol actually wears all of his garments those are a reflection of that that memtet wears which is a which is the uh which is reflected in what adam and hava wore before we ate from the tree which is what the giving of the torah brought us through the naaseve nishma that we were crowned with those two crowns that we will do and we will hear like that is the sowed of hashem is that we're not trying to figure out from a mental intellectual standpoint of how what is this Torah? Let me figure it out first and then I'll do it. No, the secret of Hashem is that there is a Torah and I don't know what's in it, but I'm doing whatever it is, even before I fully comprehend it. So to all of our newcomers to the Lapid community, man, I'm so excited for y'all and y'all inspire me because the fact that you would come into this and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What is Baruch? Like, what is that? 
that sounds really close to Baroque and I don't want to be that. And it's just like, well, Baruch Hashem, because Baruch and Baroque are two totally different things. Baroque is actually a period of music that uh, was happening during the medieval dark ages. And it was beautiful music, but a bad time for the Jews. And so Baruch actually has to do with bending our knee and blessing Hashem and bowing before his holy presence kind of thing and drawing down godliness into a physical world. So, yeah, it is completely different. So there you go. That's what Baruch means. And that's pretty much in everything that we say. So, you know, that whole pray without ceasing thing. Um, yeah, that's what we be Baruchin. So Baruchin is now a term. It is not to be confused with Hadouken, which is a Street Fighter term uh, to all my gamers out there. Uh, yeah, anyway, so how in the world did I get way over there? I'm talking about the Soda Vashem, which is just being so excited to do whatever he says, even before you know what he says. Just the same way that Abraham did what Hashem wanted him to do, even though he didn't know what he was wanting to do. Because in Bereshit chapter 22, which is what Baruch Hashem we get to read every morning in the Shakarit service, we're just like reading this. And this is supposed to inspire our hearts. And by the way, did you know the fact that you read the Akedah on a daily basis continues and perpetuates our atonement? Just the same way that us putting our faith in the work of Messiah Yeshua perpetuates our atonement. Just the same way that offering the morning and the evening lamb perpetuates our atonement. So, yeah, that's kind of crazy because salvation is completely a different thing from the Jewish mindset than it is from a Western mindset, a mindset of Asaph, which is Christianity, by the way. So, yes, Asaph does know about Torah, but since he doesn't have a foundation in it and doesn't accept the rabbis uh, and has all these other things that he likes to bring in, you know, it's just kind of like, uh, well, you're kind of there, but you got to work it out a little bit. So, you know, there's the whole thing there. So anyway, that's why it's un it's beautiful to be able to be children of Yaakov, children of Yosef in particular, because if you're a child of Yaakov, you're also a child of Yosef. If you're a child of Yosef, you're also a child of Yaakov, because those two are actually connected. If you just study Parsha, um, get you some, which is uh, Parsha Vayashev, which is my Torah portion, come on, and Parsha Vayaki, you can study those two and look at the relationship with Yosef and Yaakov, and it's just completely like beautiful. The basic uh, phrase is Ben Zekonim, son of his old age. And that, you just go from Rashi, go into Ramban, go into whoever is commenting on that from Jewish sources that are actually legit. And you'll see that, you know, if you've basically, if you've seen Yosef, you've seen Yaakov. If you're in Yosef, you're in Yaakov. The same way that us believing in Mashiach Yeshua, we also have placed our Imuna in Hashem because they're that connected. Just like if we, if we activate the Torah, not only just listening to it, but also doing it, we're also activating Hashem and also taking part in Hashem, like being in Hashem, like being filled with his spirit and all that. Okay. So anyway, that's the clothing and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah. So back to Parsha Shemini now. Well, Parsha Pekude talking about Parsha Shemini. So, 
Yeah, so the basic way we got all the way to here, I was saying that this is happening on a Rosh Hodesh in Shemot 40, verse 1. Rosh Hodesh, and then I got off into the tangent about the Chodesh being Hadash, being the new, and it's not something new, it's actually something that's renewed. So yeah, so I was trying to basically say, you know, understand what the definition of new is from a Jewish standpoint. If you're going to use the word Hadash, you can't say it's something else. You got to say it's something that was before, but that's been repaired, that's been refined, that's been polished, that's been like rearranged, so to speak, the way that our, the way that the Torah will be rearranged, by the way, because, you know, the Torah right now is not in the uh, primordial format, because if it was, then there'd be no death in the Torah. There'd be no contamination of a corpse and all that kind of stuff, all that kind of purification from a dead body. That wouldn't be in there because guess what? <laughs> when the Torah was in the primordial form, we were in a form that didn't uh, die. Okay, so there's that again. So anyway, Messiah text on new Torah has a chapter. It literally has a chapter called new Torah because, again, it's not new. It's renewed. And uh, if you just check out Messiah text, just read that whole chapter. Read all the Jewish commentary on new Torah. And it really will connect you to, I believe it's uh, Mark uh, the one of the gospel accounts and it's talking about is this a new Torah because of the authority that Mashiach is speaking with revealing secrets and all that okay yes I will source it out let me let me do that okay stand by just gonna slow down give ourselves a minute to breathe give me a minute to breathe because I'm so excited and I obviously cannot hide it so Parsha Yitro Shouts out to G Shekel again. I love this guy. I don't even know him yet. You know, this is kind of the whole thing with where we need to be as uh, Yehudim anyway, because <clears throat> when you really look at the fact that there are some people that we don't even know that are Jewish brothers and sisters, it's just like we need to just have so much esteem for them. And the whole thing about baseless love and Lashon Kodesh, holy speech, holy tongue, speaking in tongues kind of thing. Uh, like, you know, speaking life, speaking Torah, that's speaking in tongues. If you really want to speak in tongues, don't speak Lashon Hara. Speak uplifting and positive things and take Lashon Hara and throw it out the window and step on it like a bunch of times. OK, so, uh, yeah, so that's how you truly speak in tongues. And uh, anyway, so uh, just esteeming our, our brothers and sisters, you know, so like being able to look at like all these different rabbis that are on YouTube or that are from Chabad and, you know, that are in um, what's that group called? The Temple Institute uh, and, and Aish, you know, being like, oh, my gosh, you guys, I love y'all so much. Like, for real love y'all. Not just the, I love you, brother. Whatever I offended you, you offended me, da, da, da. None of that. While I'm here, because I'm going through his source right now, G. Shekel on Parsha Yitro, he's breaking all this down. And also, Benny B. I love that guy, too. Um, so these are my, like, Twins of Thunder brothers here, because... One's in India, one's in Texas, and like they're both saying the same thing. So it's like really cool. 
because you know many tribes every tribe every tongue every nation is actually echad in hashem you know that's why you know you can't just say a jew is a white person or a jew is a black person or a jew is a black israelite like it's a bunch of tribes so there's irish jews get you some there's scottish jews get you some there's chinese jews come on all right thanks shouts out to the chinese jews because man bringing in that um that that cuisine from that part of the world in a kosher format man come on now come on all sorts of delicious vegetable dishes and meat dishes and stuff man come on all right i'm now hungry and i'm supposed to be talking about new tour okay anyway uh so this is what was in front of my face that i wanted to share with you real quick the midrash rabbah uh he's quoting from bereshit rabbah 21 9 he says the g shekel again all right so he says and the flaming sword from bereshit 324 the rabbis say Sword refers to the Torah as it is written and a two-edged sword in their hand. Tehillim 149.6. So, you know, the way to the tree of life, right, is guarded by a cherubim, a cherub, an angel who has in his hand a flaming sword. And then you look at Yehoshua. Uh, let's see, he... Let's see, Joshua is what I'm talking about. He encounters an angel with a sword in his hand. Uh, let me source that out real quick. I'm practicing my sourcing. Here we go. Uh, let's see, he meets an angel. Let's see, where it is that? This is Joshua 5. Yehoshua 5, 13. Ready? The angel with the sword in his hand. And yes, I am saying that this, this angel is Memtet because... Why would this be Memtet? Because he is guarding the gate of righteousness, which is the entry into the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is a righteous place. Nothing impure is allowed there. That's why we're not there, because we still have impurities to get rid of. Then this angel, Memtet, is called an angel of Hashem, and specifically the angel of the way, because Memtet has to do with teacher of the way. And then the flaming sword, which is the Torah, the Torah is in his hand, right? It's a flaming sword. Okay, so in Yehoshua 5.13, it says, Now when Yehoshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man, because Memtet is in the form of a man too, by the way. That's why he can wear the priestly garments and be like the heavenly Kohen, you know, the high priest, the great high priest that is ministering in the actual temple, the actual Mishkan, the one that Moshe was able to see and make a replica of kind of thing. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so it says he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Okay. He had a drawn sword in his hand and it's just like, I'm the flaming sword man right here. Where do you think you're going? So, you know, when you look at the uh, this Midrash over here, they say that flaming sword is Torah. And if we're in Torah, we're actually on the path to the tree of life. So if you think about that, Mashiach saying, I'm the way, like I'm the way to get there. I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm going to teach you how to get there. By being in me, you're headed that way. That's why later he says, I'm going somewhere and you you know the way where I'm going. So that's in the writings of Yochanan. And uh, so, I mean, you, this is just ridiculous, right? So thank you, Hashem, for answering prayer. All right. So anyway, 
and then he says, I am the truth, you know, because the Torah is truth. That's also in Tehillim 119, your Torah is truth. And then it says uh, the life because the Torah is life. It's well, there's death in it if you don't want to obey it. But really, Hashem says, choose life. So what does that look like? That means being obedient to it. So if you really apply yourself to the Torah and distance yourself from evil and uh, cursing and all that kind of stuff, then you're now siphoning off life from the Torah, which is like basically taking your candle wick and putting it to a flame. And so when I say siphon, it's really just transferring fire. Because when you do a candle to fire, you don't really diminish the fire that the candle is taking from, you know, so... Yeah, so there's all that. So anyway, uh, so keep going here. He says, the two double-edged sword, the two-edged sword, the double-edged sword of the Torah does not command us to not murder, but to eradicate every source or to eradicate the very source. So he's going into the new Torah where the new Torah does not command us to not murder. That's not what it says, but it says eradicate the very source of murder. See why this is a new, it's a deeper understanding. It's an insight. So it says the new Torah of Messiah is actually more strict than that of Moshe, because while it bids us to obey the letter of Torah, we must go beyond, higher and deeper into the very root of our physical actions, into our thoughts, into our intentions, and into our motives. Which, by the way, the only way that the people were able to give all of their teruma for the Mishkan was because they had to rectify their thoughts, they had to rectify their speech, and they had to rectify their motives, intentions, and deeds. So they had to come through the new Torah to bring forth the Mishkan, which is why the Mishkan is so amazing. It's so out of this world, but in this world kind of thing. It's amazing that it even took up space. Because it's so spiritual in the physical. But, you know, again, Mashiach did. Mashiach slept. Mashiach ate. You know, Mashiach was actually born as a baby and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Miriam actually gave birth to a child. You know, it actually raised and nursed a child. Like, you know, because, because, I mean, he was, he was physical and spiritual all at the same time, just like the ark. So you could literally pick up the ark or the ark actually picked you up, you know. So, okay, this is this is very weird, but I'm just going to say it because to me, this is crazy, amazing. Bezrat Hashem, it'll be that to you. So thinking along the lines of you don't pick up the ark, the ark picks you up. So like when you're observing the Torah, the Torah observes you and you actually are helped by Hashem to observe the Torah. Because he who wants to purify himself is actually helped by Hashemayim. And he who wants to make himself impure is actually helped by Hashemayim. Go back to the Tower of Babel. Uh, the Midrash on that is that the people were so zealous for building this tower that they were actually helped by Hashem miraculously to build this tower. So when they took away a brick, Hashem put another brick there and they were able to build another brick. So you can see whether you want to be for Hashem or against Hashem, you're going to be helped. So this is why it's not a good idea for you to base your service or base your lifestyle off of, oh, man, I'm receiving so much blessing. It's just like, yeah, you can be blessed to do evil. I mean, how do you think all of the tragedies in our history of the world 
has happened. You know, like you can be helped to do very evil things, but you can also be helped to do very beautiful, amazing things. So think about that in the context of the Geula. So the disturbing thing that I was thinking about, Bezrat Hashem, this doesn't sound disturbing, but think about when Miriam was giving birth to Mashiach. If we're following this concept of being helped by that which we're grabbing a hold of, namely, like, if we want to pick up the ark, the ark picks us up. Knowing that Mashiach Yeshua is the actual fullness manifestation of that, if Miriam was giving birth to Mashiach, it could be seen as Mashiach was giving birth to Miriam. And it's kind of one of those things where I'm thinking of the verse in Bereshit where it says the woman will be shaved. Say, wow, the woman will be shaved through childbearing. No, the woman will be saved through childbearing. So it's like as she gave birth to the Redeemer, the Redeemer gave birth to her because she brought in the life that brings in life. So anyway, that kind of flashed through my head and I just wanted to put that out there. So hope hope everything went well with me trying to articulate that. So, but anyway, uh, so back to this new Torah thing. It says, so the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit, inspires us to become more observant, not only outwardly, but inwardly. Because again, remember, the Brit Hadashah is an internal thing, not just an external thing. So if you really think about what is supposed to happen to us in Mashiach Yeshua, we don't just go around going, okay, don't murder, don't murder anybody today, don't murder anybody today. No, we're going around saying, man, I love Hashem so much, like, what can I do for you? And he's like, love your brother as you love yourself. And love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And when you do that, you're going to create this beautiful tapestry of whenever you come across knowing that you should eat clean, you should eat kosher food. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, because I love you so much and I love my brother and I want to be a good witness, you know, because by the way, when you're doing stuff for Hashem, you're shining that light to your brother and your sister and best right Hashem, you're inspiring them. And so you kind of get to see because what are you focused on? What is le- what is left behind in your in the wake? You know, if you're on a jet ski going through the water at like 150,000 miles an hour, you're leaving quite the waking behind you. Like I wouldn't suggest anybody swim in that kind of water, but you do cause a ripple effect when you are just so for Hashem. Cause like if you truly do the two greatest commandments, which are actually one, you actually uphold the complete Torah because you don't disobey Hashem when you're loving Hashem. And that kind of sounds crazy, right? Because it's like, but doesn't the church teach you should love God and love all men? You know, it's like, yeah, it does. Except for when it doesn't. Because when you love God, you do what he says. That's why Yeshua said that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But anyway, so love has to do with this whole thing of like, I, I will do what love is and what it entails. You know, like love is equal to action. You know, there's action that takes place. And um, so through Yeshua, we're beyond just like, oh, yeah, don't murder anybody. It's like, Man, I'm so far from murdering somebody because I'm really focused on not hating anybody. You, it's really hard to murder somebody you don't hate. You know, it's like, oh, I love you so much. Stab, 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 bang, shot him. It's just like, really? What kind of thing is that? 
that's kind of weird. It's like a Twilight Zone. Like, did you just really kill that person you love? Yeah, because you know, by the way, to kill someone as opposed to murder someone, this is very semantic. So I'm trying to really convey a uh, example here. So please don't don't shout me down on this. So I'm on a little bitty soapbox. But when you murder someone, it's like intentional. It's planned. It's calculated. But when you uh, happen to kill someone, that's like an accident kind of thing. Like I didn't go out and like try to kill this person. It happened. You know, like the whole thing that Torah brings down and later accounts we'll see. I think uh, the, the like the cities of refuge, which is Parsha Masay. And Matot Masay. It's in one of those two somewhere in there because that's a big tour portion when you put them together. But it talks about the city of refuge for like if you're climbing down a ladder and you accidentally fall on someone and kill them. Or if, you know, you're chopping wood and the axe head like flies off and accidentally kills somebody. You know, that's killing as opposed to murdering, you know, kind of thing. So this is a really weird swerve. So I'm going to get out of here now. Uh, awkward moon walk away. Uh, step backwards into the bushes with big uh eyes that's all meant to be awkward those are expressions of awkwardness okay anyway because i didn't plan to share all that but you know baruch Hashem. so anyway can we get to where new Torahs in the gospels yes of course in the book of mark so he says in mark it tells us of new torah here's the verse mark 1 verse 27 wow i just spent how many minutes trying to get to this <laughs> It says they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new Torah for with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Mark 1:27. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yemenite Midrash. What is this? Okay. Yemenite Midrash from the Messiah text. G Shekel, what are you doing? The Yemenite Midrash says, in the future, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will seat the Messiah in the supernal yeshiva, and they will call him Adonai. 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 Just as they call the Creator. Mmm. face. All and all those who walk on the earth will come and sit before him to hear a new Torah and new commandments and the deep wisdom which he teaches Yisrael. And no person who hears a teaching from the mouth of the Messiah will ever forget it. Yeah, so that's that's just insanity. So I sourced that out. So back to Rabbi Trugman on Shemot 40, verse 1. It was Rosh Hodesh. Okay. On the first day of the month, you shall raise up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Now, again, Rabbi Griffin brought this out in the Aliyah day today, just today. Uh, well, yesterday, because it's now a new day. It's not Rosh Hodesh. <laughs> yesterday, it was pre-Rosh Hodesh, era of Rosh Hodesh kind of thing. But. And currently it's error of Rosh Hodesh because it's the evening of Rosh Hodesh and then it'll be followed by the morning. TMI, I know. Just read your source. Anyway, so he was sharing on that that the Mishkan was actually ready to be set up by Hanukkah. 
literally on the, the day that Hanukkah would begin, which is the 25th of Kislev, the Mishkan was ready. So that whole thing about the, the Mishkan sitting stored from Kislev all the way to Nisan for those few months. Uh, yeah, so the whole reason why Nisan was to be the time it was set up, you trust me, you just got to listen to this. I'm going to do a really bad job, but hopefully I'm hyping it up that it had to do with this whole thing about the beginning of a new creation uh, is when the Mishkan was going to be set up and the birth of Yitzhak and the whole thing about the eighth day when it's all raised up and inaugurated because the eighth day would be the first of Nisan, which means those seven days that preceded it was the last week of Adar. Okay. So like the end of Adar going into Nisan was the whole seven days of Moshe being a Kohen Gadol teaching Aharon and his sons how to do the Mishkan service while they're uh, doing all that. And so, and then the eighth day would be this new beginning, this uh, new era in, in creation where everything is renewed back to higher than it even was in the garden and all this kind of stuff. And that this is why Mashiach Yeshua was raised up on what would be considered the eighth day because he was uh, basically uh, crucified on a... Uh, he was crucified on a day that was leading into the Shabbat, which, however, the timing was would have worked out to where the uh, the the day after the Shabbat, which is the day we began counting the Omer. So he had to be ready to count the Omer because uh, that would have been the 16th of Nisan. So however you want to figure that out, that eighth day would have been a seventh day Shabbat or the seventh day would have been a seventh day Shabbat. And then the eighth day would have been starting from that Havdalah. After our like our normal Havdalah time, which is technically an eighth day. So every Havdalah is like the beginning of an eighth day. But we call it Yom Rishon. So anyway, Yom Rishon is actually the eighth day. But just for uh, what we're looking at here. So when we're looking at Shemini, uh, it would have been that. And then this whole thing about the first of Nisan, this Rosh Hodesh, this eighth day, this was like the eighth day of eight days, basically, this whole thing. And so we'll get more into that when Parsha Shemini rolls around Besrat Hashem, if Mashiach hadn't come yet, you know. But even if he has, obviously, I guess we'll still be studying it on a higher level. So that'd be really cool. But um, anyway, so that would have been what we know here in America as Sunday. And um, so the whole thing, Resurrection Sunday and all that kind of stuff, not to be confused with Smeester, because when you look at Smeester, it actually doesn't teach anything about an eighth day. It teaches about like, oh, now this is a Shabbat. This is a Sabbath day and we can work on it. And this is like the resurrection. It's just it's weird. So sorry for bringing all that up. But anyway, so this was all supposed to coincide. So the day that Mashiach would be resurrected, the birth of Yitzhak, his birthday, the Rosh Hodesh, the eighth day of this consecration ceremony, the first time that the Mishkan is going to be set up for everybody to enter into and all that kind of stuff. Like that was this day. So this was like a really, really big day, if you couldn't tell. And also this was going to be the beginning of the 12 days of offering of the princes of the tribes, like the Nassim, the Nassim. And, you know, the Parsha Naso, 
and it's going to go through like how the how the 12 tribes you know the leader of those tribes brought their 12 offerings and it was the same offering but it was actually different offerings like they brought the same thing but it all meant something different and so and just just so you know it even went through the sabbath you know so like if you count it the seventh day from there which you know would have been a shabbat that was actually the day of ephraim so Ephraim's tribe brought their offering on a Shabbat, you know, and it's like that would be considered, quote unquote, a violation because it's not a Musaf offering. It's not a Shabbat offering. It's actually an extra offering to the extra offering to the extra offering on a Shabbat. And so, I mean, it's just kind of like, what? You know, so the whole Lord of the Shabbat thing, Ephraim, you know, Yosef, Yeshua, like, cause that's the whole extending there. So Mashiach ben Yosef is the Shabbat offering. Yeah. Anyway, all of that, just kind of thinking through that. And then you roll right into the 12th day, which would have been the final tribe given their offering. And then the 13th day, uh, was when we get Parsha Beha Alotecha, which is the, when you kindle the lamp, Aharon, that was his offering. Cause he was kind of sad. He was like, the leader of each tribe is given their offering. I'm the leader of the tribe of the Levites. Well, really Moshe is, but really I am. But really, yes, you know, and so we should be giving our offering. So what can we give? And Shem's like, your offering is the greatest offering because it illuminates all the other offerings. That's why I want you to kindle the menorah. And it's just like, whoa, that takes you are the light of the world to a whole new level. It's beyond the offerings that you could bring. So, Selah, okay, back to Trugman. Can we finish Trugman? All right, man, I got all this other stuff. Okay, I'm just having fun. Baruch Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. I'm having fun. Thank you for this opportunity. I really want to take advantage of it. Okay, so all of that. So just know Shemot chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. That's what I should have read. Okay, so on the Rosh Hodesh, on the first day of the month, you shall raise up the tabernacle the tent of meeting. The tabernacle was erected on the first day of the first month of Nisan, Rosh Hodesh Nisan, a very auspicious day, as will be explained more fully at the beginning of the book, Vayikra, the Sefer Leviticus, Sefer Legiticus. Okay. I'm adding words to his article. So true, man, I love you so much that I just want to, I don't know. I I, want to destroy your work. I want to just, I don't know. Okay, anyway, according to tradition, Moshe erected and dismantled the tabernacle during the previous week. During those seven days, Moshe served as Kohen Gadol, Kohen Hagadol, and wore but one simple white cloak. Note, Mashiach, when he was resurrected, he was in one simple white cloak. Okay. So there's that. Uh, and then uh, if you really look at how Mashiach was placed in the tomb, he was actually placed in the tomb the way that the manna showed up. It was uh, covered in dew, which is likened to the white linen that we cover our hollow loaf in on the top and the bottom in Shab on Shabbat. And then we put a hollow cover over it. So Mashiach's body was actually wrapped in linen and laid in a tomb. So he was like treated like a hollow loaf put in underneath a hollow cover. And then um, those garments that were in the tomb. Uh, yes. So 
I hope I connected that. So the linen that we wrapped the hala in is likened to the the way that the manna was actually covered on the top and the bottom, like completely encased uh, and delivered in dew. And so that in the morning, the children of Israel would wake up and they would go out and get their manna and it'd be completely encased. And then they would open the, open the case up and take the manna out, just like we open up the hala and... Uh, you know, oh, take the cover off the hala and the linen, and then we eat the hala. So anyway, that's how Mashiach's body was in the tomb, completely surrounded in linen, put in the tomb. The tomb could be like the hala cover, the, you know, the stone that was rolled away. So they were like, hey, Hamotzi mean oh, where did he go? You know, because Mashiach was the bread of heaven and he was raised from the earth kind of thing. So it's kind of like, all right, I would give you a piece of hala, but it's somehow disappeared. And it's, isn't it interesting that the Afi Komen piece we take in the Pesach, we also wrap in linen and we hide it away and then somebody has to go find it, you know, kind of thing. So it's just kind of like, where is it? Where is his body? Oh, it's 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 a, it's resurrected. It is risen. That's how you should say it's risen. OK, but anyway. So that garment because um, the, the linen Mashiach was wrapped in was left folded in the tomb. That's why the Basora count makes that note there because what's Mashiach wearing now you know that dazzling white garment and it's the same thing that Moshe served in as Kohen Hagadol during this week of the seven days the last week of Adar and then uh, on Yom Kippur the same thing happens when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Holy of Holies you know and he has all these out outfit changes that he goes through and the last outfit change he has he leaves those garments that he entered in uh he leaves those in the yom kippur uh he i mean the holy of holies he leaves those folded in the holy of holies and dresses again and goes out and goes home and then he completes yom kippur so uh so there's that whole thing so when you really look at the blood-stained white garments that were left in the tomb is the blood-stained white garments that were left in the holy of holies so only Mashiach can turn the the empty tomb into a holy of holies, you know, kind of thing. Because we read also in the fifth Aliyah, Parshat Ekude, that the uh, the Mizbeach, where the sacrifices are offered in the outside courtyard area, that place becomes a holy of holies, and whatever touches it becomes holy. So how much more so with Mashiach's body, you know, being the holy of holies and placed in a place that's holy, you know, so... Why is his tomb never used again? Okay, there there you go. So it's got this sanctity to it. So nobody's going to be buried in there. All right, Baruch Hashem. And Bezrat Hashem, or, well, when he returns, you know, obviously nobody will be buried again because, you know, it will kind of be like life and resurrection stuff. And obviously there's still more to go with life cycles and things like that. When Mashiach returns and we're beginning to enter into the Alam Haba and all that, there's so many details, but that's not a part of what I'm trying to share. So I just wanted to bring out that Mashiach wore the same white cloak that Moshe is wearing while he's officiating as a Kohen Gadol during these seven days leading up to Parsha Shemini. Okay. It says that he, uh, he wore this white cloak and this is discussed in the Holy Garments, a message of oneness. So if you can get that article by or read that in the book orchard of delights uh from rabbi trugman you can see more of that 
So it says on the first day of Nisan, the eighth day of this process, the tabernacle was inaugurated. OK, so then he says, uh, going down later, it says it follows then and the tabernacle's inauguration on the eighth day holds great significance. The number seven always connotates or connotes Slika connotes a complete cycle inherent to the natural world, while the number eight represents transcendence of this cycle and the mundane world. Okay. And then it says, so seven or eight transcends this cycle and the mundane world creation occurring over the course of seven day cycle was reflected in the seven days Moshe spent constructing and dismantling the tabernacle. Now, I wanted to bring up in my last podcast uh, about this in the drop zone, Pakude drop zone, that I didn't say this, but the creation account can also be called the separation account. And now we can see it can actually be called a dismantling or constructing and dismantling account. Because this the way that we read the first pasuk of or the first parak, the first chapter, parak is chapter, of Bereshit, we're actually seeing how we go from Yom Echad all the way through uh, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi, Yom Revi'i, Yom Hamishi, Yom Shishi, or Yom Hashishi, Slika, because that's how it's the sixth day, not just a sixth day, and then Yom Hashabat. You know, so those seven days are uh, everything that was one in day one is now separating and coming apart. That's why you see the water separated from each other, the water separated from itself so that the land could come up. And then, you know, the land had some separation because vegetation came forth. And then, you know, you had the upper uh, level water separated because you got the luminaries and everything coming out. Now the sun, the moon, the stars, and then you got the animals uh, coming up in the waters and then the animals coming up in the land. And then you got man coming up from the land, you know, as well as from above. So you got this whole, the separated actually came back completed in man. And then everything really came back and completed in Shabbat. Because Shabbat is actually a Yom Echad Shani. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's just like everything was one. It came back. Uh, it went apart so that it can all become one again. And then it goes apart so that it can all become one again. And that's called Ratzove Shove, which is run and return. And that's a whole process of how, you know, we go throughout our six days of the week doing work and then we return to Hashem for the Shabbat. We study Torah, we refrain from work and then we have to leave Shabbat. Oh my gosh, what a traumatic time. It's like, here, smell these spices. It's not so bad. And it's like, okay, it's not so bad. And then it's like, Yom Echad is here or Yom, or Yom Rishon is here. Then you start crying because you got to do chores and you got to wash dishes and you got to vacuum the floor and you got to take out the trash and all that kind of stuff because you didn't do that on Shabbat unless the trash stunk and then you took the trash out on Shabbat. And then it's just kind of like, okay. But anyway, it's all fun. That's a process. It's it's called lifting weights. So anyway, um, getting ready for the Alam Haba. You want to be strong. You got to have your Alam Haba beach body. And the way you do that is you fight against your yetzer, you go through your run and returns, you go through your six days you should work and the seven day you should rest, you go through your, I'm so excited about Shabbat and I don't know, I'm so sad I got to leave Shabbat and oh my gosh, this is going to be a big Shabbat coming up and 
oh man, this Shabbat is amazing. I thought it was going to be so stressful, but it's like so amazing because I spent so much time prepping for it and then you earn it and then you're done with it because it's Havdalah and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all that work and, and all that excitement. And now I got to, oh, I got to do this again, you know? And so you're like, and then I got to study the Torah portion and then you study the Torah portion. You'll be like, man, I learned so much and I didn't get to get through everything, but it's so exciting. Here's what I learned. Here's what you learned. And then it's like, oh, I got to do it all over again, you know, go to work and try to get this tour study done, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so you're like back and forth, back and forth, up and down, up and down, ascend, descend, ascend, descend, angels ascending and descending on the body of Mashiach. What? Jacob's ladder up in here? Is that what we're doing? We're participating like the angels did and ascending and descending. Wow. Okay. That's cool. So anyway, there'll be one time where, you know, we're going to have our last descent and then we're going to ascend and ascend and ascend and ascend. And we're going to be like, I'm not even afraid of heights anymore because number one, I can't die. And number two, this is my flight body, you know, like I am flight ready and I can walk through walls and all sorts of stuff, you know. But anyway, Trugman. <laughs> so anyway, transcendence, eighth day. So it says the inauguration on the eighth day symbolized the essence of the tabernacle. Transcendence is the essence of the tabernacle. Eight is the transcendence is the essence of the tabernacle. That's insanity. So uh, I want to shout out Hawkeye. Yes, our Hawkeye character. Uh, this is David. Homeboy, homeboy was dropping some crazy bombs from the Kehert Humash about the Mishkan being set up and the Shabbat and all this kind of stuff. And he was saying the Mishkan is like into the Shabbat. So it's like if you entered into the Mishkan, it's like you've entered into Shabbat, you know, and it's, it was kind of a really cool drop. So if you uh, happen to know David, a.k.a. Hawk Ayn, please hit him up on that and see if you can pick his brain on on the insights he's going through. He was dropping this at Torta Basora class, which happens midweek at our shul. So if you ever want to come by and visit, get you some. But anyway, he was dropping that down. So I'm very proud of him because that was a really cool drop. And I love it because we were saying how if you actually go back to Parshaki Tisa, Hashem was saying, you shall do no work. Or Slika, Vayakel. That was just Vayakel? I thought that was Ketiza. Wow. Parsha Vayakel, Hashem says, for six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. You know, like, in other words, you don't need to be erecting the Mishkan when it's Shabbat. Because you, you are to neglect setting up the Mishkan for the sake of keeping Shabbat. And Shabbat is considered a completion of all your work, even though you didn't finish. So really, the Shabbat sets up the Mishkan because the Shabbat is likened to a Mishkan. So the more the Mishkan is likened to the Shabbat. So by your not setting it up, it's actually set up because Hashem completed and accomplished everything. That's why we read in the Kiddush on the seventh day or here. I'm just going to read it because I'm not going to mess that up. Chasbe uh, Shalom. I mess up the Kiddush, right? Check this out. This is what we say in the Kiddush on Arif. We say, God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. He kadoshed it. Yes, kadoshed. I'm going to use that word. God blessed the seventh day and kadoshed it because on it he abstained from all his work which he created to make. Let me go back one, 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 uh, 
one sentence. It says on the seventh day, God completed his work. And it uses melakto, which is the same word that's used for the work of the tabernacle. It's called melacha. That's why we have the 39 malachot, the forbidden labors that we're not to do, because if you're working on the Mishkan, it's called malacha. So if Hashem saying, this is my malacha, then he's like, I done it. I completed it. And when Hashem completes something, it's completed. So when Yeshua says it is finished, it is finished. Believe that. Okay. So now we just need to, to walk in that. What, what did he finish? You know, he's, he's completing that, that, uh, that path of destruction that we were on. And now we're on the path to renewal, you know, like paying half shekels, offering the lambs. So when he says it is finished, now that Kedusha from those mitzvot began to truly take effect unto the coming of Mashiach when it'll be finalized. And then we'll go into even newer stuff. We'll even take it up a notch. So, yeah. So when when stuff gets finished in Torah, it's it's never it's not it's just we're starting over. This is why we read the last Torah portion into the beginning and even go in past the first chapter. We even go into the second chapter of the Torah because it's finished. Like that's how you finish the Torah. You finish by getting into the beginning and starting into chapter two. And studying Parsha Bereshit as fast as you can, because you only get sometimes 72 hours, sometimes 24 hours. I, I mean, I don't know. I never pay attention to it because I'm so traumatized by like, oh, my goodness, Vizot HaBaraka is so amazing. How come we don't get to spend a whole week studying this? Because it's Sukkot. And then we go right out of Sukkot into Shemini Adzeret and Simchat Torah. And then it's like, here comes Shabbat. And that Shabbat is Bereshit. And it's just like, but last Shabbat wasn't even Parashavazo Habaraka. We was in like uh, Hazinu and all that. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, Bereshit. All right. I hope you studied it while you were doing Sukkot and all the other stuff that's with Sukkot. And it's just like, so anyway, I never pay attention to it. But anyway, so Hashem completes the work. So when we enter in Shabbat, the Mishkan is set up. All right, I didn't mean to go into all that either, but I did. It's fun. Okay, are y'all with me? You still okay? Okay, Brukashim. Uh, now, so he says the Mishkan. So it says an additional transcendent level. This is the essence of the Mishkan. Okay, so the inauguration on the eighth day symbolized the essence of the tabernacle. An additional transcendent level where the human soul rises above the limited boundaries of the finite world to relate directly to an infinite God. So, you know, that whole thing where we're finite and Hashem's infinite and whatever that interface is to get those two places to connect that conduit, like, you know, Mashiach Yeshua kind of thing. That's what the Mishkan is. That's what the eighth day is, you know, that whole new beginning stuff. And so, that's what Shabbat is for us now. That's why on Shabbat, notice when we pray, we say, and to thank you with the additional soul that you've placed with us. Because we get an additional soul on Shabbat. We get an expanded soul because uh, the word is Yeter, which uh, is actually the root of Yitro, which means additional. And if you really look at Parsha Yitro, which means his addition, Yitro didn't really add anything to Torah, but he added something to Torah. 
So when you look at our soul, it's like an extra soul, but it's not really an extra soul. That's kind of how you should think about it. And this is shown to us in how this is us entering into the Mishkan, which is why Lakute Torah spent so much time going through a beautiful uh, insight on hosting our Yakida, which is the highest level of our soul, which is the additional soul, which is called the level of Mashiach. Because Yakida is actually a name of Mashiach. It means the one and only of his kind. And that's the highest level of our soul, highest level of our soul, which comes from the word Yachad. Yakida is from the word Yachad, which means to be one. Like there is one, there is nothing else kind of thing. So we get to that point and that's that divine interface to where we can experience infinity even in the finite, which is kind of cool, which is why the whole thing that Rabbi Griffin brought out during his past Shabbat drosh from Shabbat uh, Vayakel, he was talking about in the uh, the Megillah Drosh, because we're studying the Megillah Esther while we're going through the Torah portions this time. Uh, at least for now, we're finishing it up, uh, Bezrat Hashem, this Shabbat. But he was talking about how on the Shabbat, when we Torah study, we have either a thousand time return or uh, we have like up to 613 times return on our Torah study. So in other words, you have that much more exponential uh, grasping of Torah at that point because you're now into an expanded soul. You're now into a infinite level in the finite. So anyway, there's that. So to finish up Truman, he says, initially one might have thought that it would have been more appropriate in terms of the cyclical paradigm of creation if the tabernacle was put up and taken down for six days to correspond to the six days of creation and to be erected permanently on the seventh day to correspond to the Shabbat. Right. Because, you know, Shabbat Mishkan, we were talking about that. Right. So it says the culmination and completion of creation. That's what the Shabbat is. That's what the Mishkan is. Right. But here's what Truman says. This would certainly have been logical. By not adopting this obvious correspondence, God teaches us that the tabernacle has more in common with the transcendence eight symbolizes than the natural cycles seven symbolizes. So the Mishkan is, is like the Shabbat, but it's actually greater than the Shabbat. And Mashiach himself says something greater than the temple is here. Because the temple is a reflection of the Mishkan. And it's just like, okay, so remember the Mishkan is actually kind of like a reflection of the Shabbat, but it's something greater. So if you kind of connect all those dots out. Okay, so Parsha Pekude, I wanted to uh, attack it from the fact that in our Sidur, we actually have, uh, we say Pekud, and Pakode uh, a lot of times, actually in our daily prayer. If you look at our uh, Amidah Shamone Esrei, especially since it's Rosh Hodesh, we have an additional prayer that's really just one prayer. It's not a new prayer, it's not a different prayer, it's not an extra prayer, but it's added to the temple service prayer. So the Retzeh which is the be favorable Adonai our God towards Israel, your people, and their prayer. 
So on Rosh Hodesh, we add in this prayer talking about may their rise, come, reach, be noted. Okay, so it says Eloheinu velohei avoteinu ya'aleh, may their rise, vayavo, may their come, vayagiyah, may their reach. And then it says ve-ye-ra'e, and may there be noted. Uh, and then it says, Ve may there be favored. Ve yishma, may there be heard. Va or ve yipaked, may there be considered. There's our paked right there. And then later it goes on to say, uh, consider us on it for blessing. Uf ufakdenu, which is consider us on it for blessing. Ufakdenu bo livraka, and consider us on it for blessing. Okay, so we actually say that. And then if you go into your next bracha for the Moadim, we say hapkudot lak, which is the uh, our souls are entrusted to you. And remember how I was saying. Pakod or paket can also mean to command or to uh, to entrust to charge, basically to give charge. So we're saying we give we give our souls to your charge, basically. And this is coming out of gratitude. So when you really think about my life is not mine, but it's the one who redeemed me. It's it's given to Hashem. Like our life is given up in humble sacrifice and submission to Hashem, and we're grateful. And notice we bow in this prayer. And bowing again, this is our prostrating. This is us emptying us of ourselves. We're saying we're not in charge of who we are. And when you get to that point of humility before Hashem, there is no way you can say, Hashem, I know you commanded us with your Torah and I know your word's eternal, but that doesn't apply. Like if you're a prostrated person, if you are someone who has entrusted your soul to Hashem, it's whatever he wills, just like the heart of a king is in charge of Hashem. So Hashem channels and controls the heart of the king kind of thing. So interesting that Yeshua would say, I don't do my will, but I do the will of the one who sent me because I'm Pakod to Hashem. Like I'm given to his charge and you should be given to my charge because if you're given to my charge, you're given to his charge. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out because, you know, Pekude is, is way more, um, daily for us than we could possibly even know and so just kind of uh looking at that um uh, and then oh and, and the trugman he goes to talking about how uh just to kind of go back to that for a second that this taking down and setting up for seven days and then you stand on the eighth day he relates that to Mishle 24:16 that says the righteous one may fall seven times he will arise. So this beautiful thing about the Mishkan represents the Zodic, you know, and why is Mashiach likened to a Mishkan and why is the word Mishkan used in Yochanan 1 for him tabernacling among us because he is the Zodic. He's the seven times, you know, rise up and, and all that kind of thing. And the menorah has seven branches. So the menorah is like a Zodic, you know, the true light of the world, the true Zodic. So, I mean, it's this beautiful thing when you look at all that. 
So here's from what I like to call Shomer Blue, which is the uh, commentary on uh, Mishle from Art Scroll. It says this. The verse continues the discussion of the previous verse. The evil person thinks, the evil person thinks, there we go thinking again, that when the righteous man falls, he will never recover. He is wrong. Okay? He is wrong. When a righteous person falls, he will recover, y'all. So we need to know this, too, because we're called to be Zadokim as we're a Lapidim torches of Mashiach. We're, we're little lights. He's the big light. And we're called to walk in righteousness. And yes, we fail sometimes. We fall. But just like the Mishkan fell and was put back up again, so it is for us. It doesn't matter how many times we fall. Did we get back up? That's what really matters. Do we get back up? That's what matters. And I know that Yehuda, which is commonly called Jude, he writes that Hashem is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless. So there's something to the element of our falling that because we were actually able to get back up because, you know, we go back and forth. We win some, we lose some, but we live to fight another day. Yeah, I stole that from a movie. I know I shouldn't be. I should know nothing about that. But I was once not Jewish and I was once not. Uh, connected to life. And so that's how I know that. But anyway, um, anyway, so we get back up. And so through our uh, stumbling, Hashem actually helped us to walk upright. And that's what happens when we observe Torah, that we get to the righteous get to walk in it and the wicked stumble kind of thing. So we're presented faultless because we get to walk in righteousness. And though we may fall, which you have to really work to do, I truly have to say, I have to confess, this is a confession. In order for us to sin as true followers and believers in Mashiach, we do have to work at it. Because you have to truly outright just stop fixing and focusing your eyes on him for like a half second. And then you end up sinning. It's just like, but sinning is so easy, right? But really, it's not like we we truly could live a sinless life. And it's just kind of like that's a that's convicting, but it's like, but no, that's reality. And it's just kind of like, man. So, you know, that's again, that's why we have to really work against our Yetzirah, because it's going to it's going to step up to the challenge every single time. And it's just kind of like, but we have to will ourselves to be victorious, just like Yaakov. Yaakov was victorious over an angel, y'all. That's our dad. <laughs> and we're his children. So, like, come on. So, yeah, I know. I know. We got to keep moving, though. All right. So it says, uh, the wicked person thinks he'll never recover, and he is wrong. The good man may stumble repeatedly, but he will rally. Oh, man, I love that. You know, uh, me, I like to think of violence all the time. Like, I always think about, like, th throwing stuff, blowing stuff up. Obviously, because I'm Shomer Man and I like to shoot rockets and repulsor beams and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's because that's that's what it means to fight back. You know, if you're not getting in the tour and throwing stuff, I mean, you don't have to. Not everybody has to be violent, but some of us do. And so that's why we do that. 
Because we have to. We have to fight. Some people, violence is like, wow, that was a beautiful insight. Baruch Hashem. Amen. Sip my tea or drink my coffee or drink my juice or Baruch Hashem for this water. You know, and it's just like, wow, that was pleasant. And that's violent for some people. So, you know, and again, I appreciate that because if we were all like throwing stuff, I wouldn't have anything to throw because everybody would have already thrown it. So anyway, shouts out to the Chesed people. Brugashem. All right. So, but if an evil person has even one setback as indicated by the singular form of misfortune, he will not rise again. But if an evil person has even one setback as indicated by the singular form of the word misfortune. Because at the end of this verse, guess what? It says, but the wicked ones stumble into misfortune. And it says the word misfortune is in the singular. So in other words, you don't have misfortunes and, and just stop. In other words, if you're having setbacks, it's because you're a righteous person and you're battling over them. Okay, like in other words, if you're having circumstances, you're like, okay, so yesterday, you know, I tried to do shakarit and I ran out of time or I was hungry. And so I ended up eating instead of praying. But guess what? You had to pray to eat. So you kind of did shakarit. It was called shaka eat. Shaka, shaka, reet, shaka, yeah, shaka, reet, like you shakar, eat, because shakar actually is the word for morning, by the way, so if you eat in the morning, it's like a shaka, eat, okay, anyway, that was terrible, but hopefully it tasted good, anyway, um, so, but if you resolve that I'm not gonna do that again, I'm gonna try to wake up a little earlier, and if I happen to be close to running out of time, then you know what? I'll just make a smoothie or I'll just have a quick bar or I'll just eat an apple and just pray to Hashem to keep me full and sustained until the next time that I can have a snack or a light meal, you know. And uh, I'll confess that, you know, I love having big breakfasts, but because my morning is so crunched with my morning routine and, and trying to do shakarit and everything that my breakfast ends up being you know, like, a, like four eggs or five eggs. And it's like, that's it. And, you know, maybe drink some water on the go kind of thing. And, but I get to do shakarit though. And it's just kind of like, so that's my kind of sacrifice that I've been making, you know, and it's like, well, you could, you know, make some adjustments to that. And it's just like, yeah, I'm working it out. So every day I'm working out my faith with fear and trembling, right? Working out my salvation with fear and trembling every day. So I'm figuring things out, but you know, just to kind of give you a little peek behind the curtain, that's kind of what I go through. And so I don't let these little uh, circumstances hold me down. And it's just like, Brukashim, that's how you're supposed to be as a Zodic. You're supposed to, we're all Zodics. I'm not the only Zodic and I'm not like, uh, like spick and span clean and stuff, you know, you can just talk to Mazel. She can hook you up and I can tell you myself. I'll, I'll tell on myself. OK, first of all, you ain't got to go to nobody to find my dirt. I'll tell you myself. But anyway, we just uh, need to know that the only way we have uh, 
failure is because we decided not to fight back. Because misfortune is for wicked people, but for the righteous man, check this out. So this is what I'm trying to say. This commentary actually says it. So shouts out to Vilna Gaon because he's the person who says this next line. The word righteous man is in the singular, whereas wicked ones is in the plural. Even if a righteous man is alone without resources, Hashem will help him. But although evil people may be many, they will fall. So in other words, what we're trying to say, the word misfortune, so challenge, circumstance, setback is singular, but it's for a plural people, which is wicked ones. But a righteous man, sometimes it's like there's only one person, you know, there's you feel like I'm, I'm by myself in this. I'm going against my circumstances. And it's like because the fact you have circumstances that you're overcoming is proof that you're not a wicked person. Because you're not letting your circumstances be a circumstance that keeps you from walking in righteousness. Okay, so then it says um, for the seven, it says Rabbi Yitzhak Hunter or Hutner, Slika, wow. Rabbi Yitzhak Hutner interpreted the verse to encourage a student who was unsuccessful in his studies. It is imperative for a good person to have failures. It is imperative for a good person to have failures, even seven of them, because a person grows from adversity. Rabbi Griffin said this on the Aliyah day. So this is a recap, like a recap on Captain America. Recap, Captain Israel Slika. The greatest people have suffered, or the greatest people have suffered reverses, but they ultimately succeeded because they per persevered. Homiletically, Hashem caused the most righteous to fall very often, so they will repent and strive for new heights. Did you know repentance opens up an elevation path for you? Because you get to overcome an area that you completely went down in. So anyway, just putting that out there. So it says, when they do so, they inspire others to follow suit and elevate themselves as well. Teferit Shemuel. All right. So that's the righteous fall seven times, which is likened to the tearing down and setting up of the Mishkan by Moshe and his white cloth. Just like the resurrected garment of Mashiach Yeshua. Okay. Now. Uh, really quick, I'm just going to blurt this out because I realize I've been going for a long time and I haven't even shared really what I want to share. So first thing I want to say is Shona of Pincus brings down that um, there's a conversation between Bezalel and um, Bezalel and Moshe about uh, making the Mishkan and the vestments. And Moshe was like, make the vestments and then make the Mishkan. And Bezalel was like, well, it's the way of man to make a house and then make his furnishing. So I can't just say, I'm going to make Sleeka. I'm going to make the furnishings of the Mishkan and then I'm going to, uh, you know, make the Mishkan after that because I can't just leave all these furnishings, furnishings just sitting out. And it's just kind of like, Moshe was just like, well, that's actually, that's correct. You are right. 
that you should make the Mishkan first and then make the furnishings. And specifically the fact that you should start with the Ark. The very fact that you're saying this to me is actually proof that you were in the shadow of Hashem. So the fact that you're saying this to me is actually proof that you are your name. And uh, so he does that whole thing, right? But he alludes to the fact that the reason why you got to have a place to put the furnishings is because you have to have a love of Hashem and a fear of Hashem for your Torah that you're going to store up. In other words, your your furnishings have to go somewhere. So like what you get from Torah study, from Torah observance, it has to have somewhere to be stored. Like, in other words, you have to set up something so that your Torah study and your Torah observance can endure. And it's called fear of heaven and love of Hashem. So you have to fear and love Hashem. You have to have a fear and love. You have to worship Hashem in spirit and in truth in order for your Torah study and your Torah observance to endure. So that was really kind of the bigger elucidation. Shona Pink has brought that all out and sourced it out, but I just wanted to blurt that out to you because there's more to that conversation with Moshe and Bezalel than meets the eye because you're kind of like, I don't really get it. In the written Torah, it's really just going into Moshe told Bezalel to make the furnishings in the Mishkan. And then commentary is going and saying, well, that's not actually how it should have gone. And then it's like, okay, and on to the next commentary. And it's just like, wait, what is he really saying? Show sure enough, it's like, let's look into this. Let's get deeper into it. And it's like, this is a big picture for us. We want to make sure that our Torah observance and our Torah study like flourishes. And the way we do that is by fearing Hashem and loving Hashem. We have to have a fear of heaven. If we don't have a fear of heaven, then may we get one because we need that we need to be freaked out at some point that if we think we can get on our high horse and just go trot around town and do whatever we want to do we need to fear that Hashem will bring some discipline just like he did with the perishim and important to note shouts out to James and Janaya. come on talking about their podcast they did a beautiful job on this it says why was Mashiach uh, rebuking them? He didn't denounce them. He rebuked them because Hashem rebukes those whom he loves. You know, and I was just kind of like, oh, no, they didn't. I know I heard that before, but it was like really cool just because the way they just framed it. It was beautiful. It was like framing in its finest. Because think about this. A parent doesn't go out and like, beat their children or beat someone else's children unless they know them and love them which apparently that used to happen back in the generation before me uh that you know you your my parents told me these horror stories which are actually really good you know again that's that fear element is fear is good for us because if you knew if you did something you would get beat like i'm talking with an extension cord with a belt you know, with a hand, you know, and, a, and not like punching or anything, but like an open hand spank kind of thing. Well, you shouldn't spank with your hand. So I don't know about that. Anyway, it's black folk stuff. I just said black folk stuff on my podcast. Sleeka. I got really colorful on that one. Wow. Anyway, um, but you got whooped as a child in my household. You know, and my parents were like, oh, y'all just think this is bad. When we were children, did you know that we got whooped by every neighbor on our way home 
to tell our parents what we did and then our parents whooped us so we got a whooping before the whooping before the whooping so like you know so apparently communities actually cared about what the children were doing and like there there was this communal uh correcting going on a communal correction so when you really look at why was Mashiach actually rebuking them as opposed to denouncing them? He was like, come on, children, get it together. Get it together. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Like, come on now, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, he was doing that, long story short, because he cared, because he loved them. He loved the perishing, but he didn't love the Sadducees, you know, because the Sadducees didn't really believe in him. So it's just kind of like, so they were just smoking mirrors anyway so it's like why are you guys even questioning if i'm a shiach you don't even believe in mashiach you don't believe in angels you don't believe in afterlife you don't believe in all torah which is the only way you know about mashiach because if you just look in the written torah it doesn't say anything about mashiach when it uses the word mashiach that's actually the anointing oil that's used up on the head of aharon and his sons again parasha shemini parasha pekude parasha tedzave that's where you see mashiach and so yeah anyway so there's all that. And uh, here's something I wanted to share. I wanted to share this uh, beautiful Hiddush, Hiddush uh, like a teaching kind of uh, revelation thing. I was looking at uh, Dot Zekanim on Shemot 3821 that was talking about the Tabernacle of Testimony. This is the first time this is used. And it says in Dot Zekanim, uh, the testimony, the tabernacle served as a testimony to the Gentile nations, to the non-Jews, to the Goyim, basically, that Hashem has forgiven his people. Hashem has forgiven the Jews. Hashem has forgiven the Israelites. Hashem has forgiven the children of Israel. Hashem has forgiven the followers of Mashiach. Because, by the way, if you're a follower, if you're truly a follower of Mashiach, truly doing what he doing, lived how he lived, you are Yisrael. It's the only way you can follow Mashiach. Any other way is not the way. It's just another way. It's just the other way. And that doesn't work. There's the way. Anyway, so the tabernacle served as a testimony that Hashem had forgiven his people for the sin of the golden calf. It proved that his glory resided amongst them. So I was thinking about the testimony and the proof and the witness, right? Because the whole thing about edut is the word aid, which is witness. So the witness gives a testimony, right? So Yochanan 1, 6 through 8 says this. There was a man sent from Hashem. So a shliach of Hashem is Yochanan, just like Memtet's also a shliach from Hashem. Because, you know, uh, Memtet is Hashem's messenger. So the angel of Hashem is Hashem's messenger. That's why the angel of Hashem speaks in first person. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, just look at the Akedah and it talks about the angel quoting Hashem, which really it doesn't say quoting Hashem. It just says he's speaking. The angel of Hashem says all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, it says there was a man sent from Hashem whose name was Yochanan. He came to be a testimony. He came to be the edut, basically, uh, to bear witness concerning the light. And it says, so that through him, everyone might put his trust in God and be faithful to him. 
like be faithful to God, not to Yochanan. Okay. Then it says he himself was not that light. So this is cool because he's like, he wants to make sure he distinguishes. The testimony is not the light. At least this testimony right here is not the light. Because, you know, the Mishkan as a testimony is the light. But Yochanan is testifying about the light. Okay, so anyway, so it says, no, he came to bear witness concerning the light. So I was looking at this and I'm like, Yochanan, we know is John the Baptist and, and good old American Texan straight up down to earthness. But that's actually not right because it's actually should be Yochanan the mikvis, you know, and actually the word for a person who gives a mikvah is, you know, the word tavel, which is what you do in a mikvah. The mikvah is actually the gathering of the waters. Forty say ah, a mem, by the way. Uh, so you mikvah into the mem, which is Mashiach and Moshe, the Torah and Yeshua. So the waters is actually Yeshua and Torah. So yeah, so you immerse in that. And that's called tavel. So when you want to go to a mikvah, you're going to tavel. You're going to tavel in the mikvah. You're going to dip. You're going to immerse. So the word immerse is the word tavel. So actually it's Yochanan Hatovel, which is Yochanan the Toveler, if you really want to look at that. So when first thing is, let's look at the pure Hebrew meaning of Yochanan Hatavel. Because Yochanan means shall favor, shall give grace, and then Hatavel means immerse. So literally Yochanan Hatavel Yochanan the Immerser literally translates, that's my, uh, yeah, semantically, Yochanan the Immerser. It says that if you literally translate Yochanan Hatavel, it literally can mean a baptism of favor and grace, which is the Teshuvah that's written about in Matthew 3.11. It is true that I am toveling you in water so that you might turn from sin to God Yep. So if you really look at that, it's it's to be immersed into favor and grace, which is teshuva. And the fact that we can make teshuva, quite frankly, is saying that Hashem is a God of grace, because, you know, if God wasn't a God of grace, then we wouldn't have the world today. Uh, Adam and Hava would have never existed to give birth to Seth, who would have gave birth ultimately to Noach, you know, down the lineage, all that kind of stuff. But because God's got a grace, Adam and Hava were given an opportunity to walk into Shuva. Because Hashem is a God of grace, he sent Mashiach to be an Akedah, the finalization, the actualization of the Akedah. Uh, so when I've been thinking about this, I mean, it, first of all, let me finish my point. It says, uh, so also you can look at the initials of Yochanan as yod Hey. Because Yochanan Ha-Tovel, which makes it yod Hey, which is the gematria of 15, which is also the gematria of Yeshua HaMashiach, because the Yod and the Hey, that gematria, the yod Hey, is 15. So Yochanan HaTovel or Yeshua HaMashiach, they both, quite frankly, make for us into grace and favor in Hashem. But uh, later in the Yochanan, uh, or in the Matthew 3, he goes, Yochanan himself says, you know, I'm immersing you in water, but the one who comes out to me is going to immerse you in fire in the Ruach HaKodesh. So he's going to 
immerse you in the fire and water, which is the Torah, the Torah of spirit, the new Torah, all that kind of stuff. So, but where I was going with this, uh, what was I saying? Yochanan, Yeshua. Okay, I can't remember now, Brukashim. So, all right. Yeah, sad. I can't remember what I was saying. Okay. Uh, baptism, favor, and grace. Brukashim. If God was not a God of grace, we wouldn't be here. And, uh, yeah. So, Brukashim, wherever that tangent was, it's gone. All right. Sorry about that. So the other thing, Yochanan, is also called Yochanan ben Zachariah. Because, you know, when you refer to a Hebrew man, you actually refer to him as his name and son of da-da-da. So that's why we say Rabbi Griffin, son of Ellis, you know, or Amet, son of Mordecai, you know, because not only is Rabbi Mordecai my father, but my uh my father as well is Mordecai Merritt. So shouts out to Yad Bazel, which is the Iron Fist. So yes, my father is the Iron Fist. So um, anyway, so Abba, just want to shout you out. Toda Rabbah for that. Uh, so yes, I am Amet Ben Mordecai uh, would be the proper way to say it. And uh, there's a lot I can get into on why we have last names. Because I actually learned that last names uh, developed over the centuries, but it was really a uh, tie-in from the tribe that you belong to. So you were really, your last name was your tribal name. And so now it's like, if you can, I guess, follow that out, if you know your last name, you can kind of know your tribe. Because your tribes are connected, or your name is connected to a tribe. So that's kind of interesting. And um, specifically because the way that you know your tribe is you know who your father is and whatever tribe your father belongs to, that's who you belong to. So if you really look at Yochanan ben Zechariah, Zechariah was of the lineage of Aharon. So Yochanan is actually a Levite. And so that means Yochanan is actually in the lineage of a Kohen Gadol. So he could be a Kohen Gadol because his father was in the lineage of Aharon, which is the Kohen Gadol lineage. And that's the only way you're a Kohen Gadol, you're of the lineage of Aharon or of Pinchas, or of Melchizedek, because there's that. So when Yeshua is accepting the mantle of the priesthood from Yochanan through his mikvah, the fulfill all righteousness mikvah, he's actually transferring the lineage of Aaron, Aharon with the lineage of Yehuda, because Yeshua HaMashiach is from the tribe of Yehuda. And then he grafts in together the tribe of Aharon, or the Levites. So Yehuda and Levi come together, and the king and the priest, there you go. That's how that whole thing happens. So, and then he was already king of priests anyway, because Mashiach Yeshua ultimately is from the lineage of Melchizedek, which ultimately where is Melchizedek from? Adam. Okay, so there's all that. And then to know, well, really, if you want to follow this out for a second, Melchizedek is also Shem, by the way. Shem was a son of Adam. Okay, so the king and the priesthood were always together when it was originally given, but it was broken up through Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. After Yaakov, it was broken up between Yehuda and Levi. And here we go, bringing it back together through Yeshua HaMashiach. So anyway, that's how that all happened. That's why knowing that Mashiach ben David, 
you know, because the kings come from Judah, which David is from the tribe of Judah. So there's that. All that to say, Yochanan ben Zechariah, the initial letters are Yod, Beit, Zayin, which have the gematria of 19, which is the same gematria as Yada, which is the root of Yehudi, which is the word for Jew. So the root of Jew is Yada, which means to cast out, to make confession, to praise, to shoot, and to give thankful praise. So a praiser, a shouter, one who throws and casts up praise, throws and casts their crown before Shem, that's what a Yehudi is. And then it says uh, that Yada is actually from a denominative root of Yad, which literally means the hand. And it literally says to use, to hold out the hand physically, to throw a stone, shoot an arrow. This is why our prayers are called arrows, by the way, that we shoot out prayers because that's what Jews do. We pray. We pray without ceasing. And then it says, especially to revere or worship with extended hands, lift up holy hands in prayer that came from Judaism. And then it says intensively. So to pray really hard, to pray real hard, man praising hard, MPH, like that's a Jewish thing. So miles per hour is actually man praising hard. Anyway, um, I know that drives you crazy. But anyway, uh, bemoan by wringing the hands. <clears throat> you think about when we do the Netzilat Yadayim and how uh, before we're doing that, you know, if we chas shalom have sinned, you know, we're wringing the hands like, oh, I can't believe I did that, da 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 cleanse, purify myself, you know, whole kind of thing. So anyway, and Yada rearranges to Hayad, which is the hand. So looking at Yochanan, we can see the hand of Hashem. We can see the true Yehudi. We can see the mikvah of favor and grace. So to know that we are people of grace. Anyway, so I want to share all that. And what else did I want to share? Oh, I want to share this. That... Um, and the Agarit to the Romans, chapter 13, going into 14, it talks about when um, our knowledge that we have, it's impartial and our prophecy is impartial. But when the perfect comes, which is the return of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the temple, the partial will pass. So we're going to gain the fullness of this knowledge that we have in part, which, by the way, is not the complete summation of all knowledge. It's just going to be the beginning of us being able to learn knowledge on a higher level. So it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, argued like a child. Now that I've become a man, I have finished with childish ways. For we now see obscurely in a mirror, but then we'll be face to face. Now we know partly, but then we will know fully, just as God has fully known me. For now, three things last Trust, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, you know, pursuing the commandments kind of thing. So pursue love. However, keep on seeking the things of the spirit and especially seek to be able to prophesy. And so G. Shekel brings down that this whole thing about prophecy. He says, Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. This is G. Shekel on Pekude. And he says, that this is the soul of Messiah and the soul of Torah. So to prophesy is to be in the soul of Mashiach. And then it says that, uh, and then I was thinking about this, 
how we're supposed to pursue love, which means remember love, be Shomer Mitzvot. And that's first Yochanan five, two through three says, here is how we know we love Hashem's children when we love God. We also do the mitzvot for loving God means obeying his mitzvot. Moreover, his commands are not burdensome. So if we love the Jewish people, that's that's cool because we love God's children. And then when we love God, then we love his commandments. So we love the Jews. We love God. We love his commandments and we obey his commandments and his commandments aren't a burden to us. So if we're thinking his commandments are a burden and we don't love Israel, we don't want to do any commandments, then we might want to check on pursuing love because that's what we're supposed to do. And then uh, sourcing out, by the way, some things that I left on the table about the fullness of God being in Messiah. It was actually from the letter to Colossae. And it was Colossae 2, uh, 9. It says, for in him, Mashiach, bodily lives the fullness of all that God is. So yeah, there, there you go. So that was that source. Uh, the other source that I wanted to bring up don't need any more because don't have time to get to it. But I said I wanted to talk about the birth of Yitzhak because that's when the, the Mishkan was set up. So Midrash says, Parsha Vayera. I said I, you should read that. So here we go. I'm reading it. This page 183. What was so special about the 15th of Nisan, which is the actual day of Pesach? Because, you know, we go from the 14th into the 15th, which is Erev Pesach. And that's when we have our Seder. So it's where the 14th and the 15th meet which is the beginning of the 15th, which is the first day of Pesach. If that's not confusing, right? Because <laughs> the day started at night. So this is why it's Rosh Hodesh now, because even though it's Rosh Hodesh during the day on Yom Shishi, the sixth day prep day, it's actually Rosh Hodesh now. Anyway, so why did the sun, the moon, and the stars in the sky rejoice? And why were people on earth happy? Everyone knew Abraham's wife, Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, had given birth to a son. The Sadi gave birth to a righteous one, by the way, because Sadi is the Gematria 90. So you can look at out of righteousness, Yitzhak came forth kind of thing, because Sadi represents righteous, the Zadik. Anyway, uh, on the day of the birth, an abundance of miraculous blessings had been showered upon the world. Okay, not just blessings in their house, but upon the world. Okay, so think about this with the birth of Mashiach. Uh, the birth of Moshe also has the same thing. Okay, I'm not gonna put that source out there. Okay, just know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read the birth of Moshe. Just know it's equally as amazing, and Abraham's birth is equally as amazing. Okay, so the birth of Abraham, the birth of Yitzhak, and the birth of Moshe, the birth of Mashiach, and why don't why don't we just throw in the birth of David? I'm sure pretty sure there's something ridiculous on that. But anyway, uh, just know all these births have very very commonalities on blessing the world, which is the same as the day that the Torah came forth from Mount Sinai, which is Shavuot, which is the same thing that's happening in Acts chapter two when tongues of fire are descending and it is the giving of the Ruach Hakodesh. Okay, all those things are miraculous, amazing births that are happening. 
Okay. So uh, it says an abundance of miraculous blessings have been showered upon the world. Barren women conceived. Okay. So women who weren't able to get pregnant, they got pregnant. Blind people regained their eyesight. The blind were given their sight. Slow-witted people were blessed with intelligence. Oh, some intelligent people. By the way, Pesachim 50A. The reason I know this is because it's in my screenshots and I saw it because I was looking through my files. It says that in the Olam Haba, we will be wiser people. Like everybody will be wiser in the Olam Haba. So things that are difficult for us to understand now, like how can someone who is pure prepare red heifer ashes and become impure to make a person who is impure get sprinkled these ashes upon and then they become pure. But yet this person who prepared this mixture became impure. So, yeah. So like stuff like that, we'll be able to understand and, and get. And then uh, so it says, whoever hears about the birth will also rejoice. This just really thinking about Mashiach's birth on this is ridiculous because, you know, how everybody was all like the shepherds are like, we saw the star in the sky. The Magi, they're like, we saw the star in the sky and angels are appearing to the shepherds and telling them the birth of the king and all that kind of stuff. And people are coming to bring uh, frankincense and myrrh to Mashiach because you put uh, you put frankincense actually on the showbread table in the Mishkan or in the temple. Either one, you put frankincense on that table. So them presenting Mashiach with frankincense is validation to him being the showbread. Anyway, the true showbread. So then, uh, yeah. So anyway, people are excited. They heard about this. And it says, because Hashem has blessed the whole world on my account. So Sarah says, Hashem blessed the whole world on my account. So because she gave birth to Yitzhak, Hashem blessed the world. So think about that with Miriam, right? Because she's just like, I gave birth to Mashiach Yeshua. It's like the whole world, like all of creation. Because when Yeshua is born, he's, he's spanning all of past and all of future and the present at the same time, which is the name of Hashem, by the way. So this is how Miriam gives birth to the name of Hashem. So get you some of that, right? Anyway, uh, so everyone spoke about this joyous event. This is why we're still today talking about the birth of Mashiach. Like we're still so excited about that. So even so with Yitzhak, it was. So it says, did you ever hear that Oh my goodness, I remember my point earlier when I was going to talk about uh, Mashiach and the whole, like, the king and the priest and Yochanan and all that. What I was meaning to say was that Mashiach is the tipping point for everything. So, like, things that we see a semblance of from, like, for say, instance, uh, Yitzhak's Akidah. So Yitzhak, he was accredited as if he was offered but mashiach was actually offered the mishkan is accredited as something being transcendent and, and beyond creation and infinity but mashiach is that transcendence and uh mashiach is called the first redeemer he began the redemption but mashiach actually completes the redemption so that's what i was trying to get that's what i was trying to think mashiach is a tipping point so even with the birth of yitzhak as we're looking at all this, Mashiach is the tipping point of like literally 
the world rejoicing, literally all that kind of stuff. And furthermore, I was going to talk about Bezalel because when you read about Bezalel, he seems to be like this divine man because it just goes into all this backdrop on him. And Mashiach is the actuality of all of that, that we read about Bezalel. So anyway, that's important to know. Mashiach is the tipping point. He's where everything that we read from the insights and everything become reality. That's why everything is a shadow of things to come, but yet Mashiach's body is the actual reality. So all the festivals we're celebrating, Mashiach is the actual reality of those festivals. Okay, everything that we do at the temple, Mashiach is the actuality of everything we do at the temple. There you go. Okay, so back to the Midrash, page 183 in Bereshit, Parshavayir, birth of Yitzhak. So... Everyone spoke about the joyous event. Did you hear that Abraham's wife, Sarah, had a son? Impossible. She is known to be barren. And by now, she is 90 years old. It was a miracle. She was rejuvenated by Hashem. She looks like a young girl, and her hair is black. Okay, homegirl ain't got no gray hair. And it says, her pregnancy and birth were quite unusual. She had no pains at all. Because by the way, before we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and in the Alam Haba, so put those on the same plane, there will be no pain in childbirth. That's why Hashem specifically brought up after we ate from the tree that there's now going to be pain in childbirth. So anyway, birth pains and all that stuff. That that didn't exist prior to sin or it won't exist in the Alam Haba. And again, in the Alam Haba, women are going to be rejuvenated on a monthly cycle. So just what we're seeing here with Sarah, that's going to happen to women in the Alam Haba. So it says, um, people commenting. So it says, I don't believe it, someone said. It's more likely that Hagar gave birth and they just claim that it is Sarah's child. Or maybe it isn't Abraham's child at all. He never had any children after Yishmael, and he is a hundred years old. It must be that they took a strange child into the house and have proclaimed him to be their son. The malicious tongues had yet another version. Hmm. Malicious tongues were also against Moshe, and we have Parshapakude to quelch those, to quell those malicious tongues. Same here. So uh, it says it is common knowledge that Sarah was taken to Avimelech, to Avimelech or Avimelech, either way you want to say it, potato, potato, Avimelech's uh, palace. And he is said to have restored her untouched. The truth must be different. This child was fathered by Avimelech. Let us go to Abraham's house and see for ourselves. See, this is the thing. If you want to have malicious talk, just go search it out yourself. Don't don't try to make up rumors and spread rumors and perpetuate them. Go to the source. Okay. If you hear the Talmud says something that sounds a little wonky, go to the source or ask the person, uh, excuse me, what tractate was that? What doff? Please hand that to me. Thank you. And was that Bavli or Yerushalayim? Okay. Get get with it. Right. So then it says, looking at the newborn, everyone had to admit that he was Abraham's son. Hashem had molded his features with such striking resemblance to those of Abraham that the child was his father's living image. 
a miracle happened to disapprove false claims that Sarah had not actually given birth, but rather had taken a family into the house. Hashem dried up all the breasts of all the noble women that they could no longer nurse their own babies. Sarah, on the other hand, was blessed with an abundance of milk. All the women brought their children to her. That's a humble pie right there, right? So she does all that. And it says, um, everyone brought their children to Sarah, their babies. Uh, the, those women who brought their babies with pure motives because they were eager to have their children drink from the milk of a Zadiket, a Zadik woman, basically, were rewarded by having their children grow up to be God-fearing. So, yeah, there's all that. So, anyway, it keeps going. And there's that. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to end it there. Just know... Oh, no, I'm not going to end it there. False ending. Okay, here's the last thing. Because I have to quote the Tankuma that Rabbi dropped uh, from Vayera. Vayera 23. Tankuma. Thereupon, the Holy One, blessed be he, opened the sky and the clouds surrounding him. Surrounding Abraham. It says, by myself I have sworn, says Adonai. Note that Memtet is speaking, because it says the angel of Hashem says this. Which is Hashem speaking. It says, um, you have sworn. Abraham replied, and now I swear that I shall not descend from this altar until I say what I wish to speak. Speak, he answered. Then did you not tell me, says Abraham, count all the stars if you're able to count them. So shall your seed be. Bereshit 15.5. Yes, he replied. This is Hashem, Memtet speaking. So they say yet, or he says yes. Slika, not they, he, because Hashem is a chad. So he says yes in response to Abraham. But from whom shall my seed descend? Queried Abraham. From Yitzhak? HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered, It was in my heart yesterday. Which is kind of funny because yesterday to Hashem, what is that? <laughs> and it says to remind you that you told me that Yitzhak was my seed. So to know that Yitzhak is actually called the son of God, even though he's the son of Abraham, is to understand that Mashiach is the son of God, even though he's the son of Yosef. Just putting that out there. And it says to remind you that you told me Yitzhak was my seed when you said to me, take him for a burnt offering. But I restrained myself and did not challenge you. Therefore, when Yitzhak's descendants sin and are being oppressed, recall the binding of Yitzhak. Recall the Akedah of Yitzhak. Read Yitzhak, uh, this Akedah, Bereshit 22. Basically what Shem's saying, like we say in our Siddur every day. Because here's what it is. When we sin and are being oppressed, we need to recall this. We need to pekud, pekod, recall, take account of the binding of Yitzhak, reckon it as if his ashes were piled up on the altar and pardon them and release them from their anguish. HaKadosh Baruchu answered, you have spoken what is in your heart. Now I will say what I wish to say. In the future, Yitzhak's descendants will sin against me and I will judge them 
on Rosh Hashanah. If they want me to discover something to their credit, because other than this, they're in a deficit. And to recall for their advantage the binding of Yitzhak and let them blow this shofar. Abraham said, what shofar? Hakadosh Baruchu said, turn around. Then it was Abraham lifted up his eyes. Abraham Shema, Sumerom Enekim, lifted above his eyes and looked and behold, behind. This is the day of Mashiach, by the way. A ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Bereshit 22, 13. This was one of the 10 things that were created before twilight, this ram, which means it wasn't created from a mama ram. It was something brought directly into creation by Hashem. A ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Hakadosh Baruchu said to Abraham, let them blow upon this ram's horn to me. So blow with the Karen Yeshua, the ram of Yeshua, because that's who this ram ultimately is. Blow with the salvation of Hashem, basically. Okay. And it says, let them blow this ram's horn to me and I will save them and redeem them from their sins. This is what David meant when he sang my shield and my horn of Yeshua, my high tower to Halim 18.3. Then I shall remove the yoke of exile from them and comfort them in the midst of Zion, which, by the way, Winter Soldier, Stav Sodat, brought this down. He said, isn't it interesting the word zone? Is Zion, but without the Yod. And zone means flock. So when you think about adding the Yod, the Yeshua, to the flock, you get Zion, which is the habitation of Hashem with his flock. Same gematria as Yosef, same gematria as Ohel Moed, which is the tent of meeting, which is the Mishkan. So yeah, so when you put the Mashiach with the children of Israel, you have Zion. And that's what Hashem says, I'm going to comfort them in the midst of Zion, as it is said, for Adonai has comforted Zion. Yeshayahu 51.3. Amen. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu, Baruch atah Adonai, notein ha Torah, Amen.